brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they're being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law, for righteous to everyone that believeth. Four verses out of the tenth chapter of Romans. Let us pray. Our Father, we bind your presence. Pray that you'll search our hearts and if there's any wicked ways in us, cleanse us. We've come to worship you and adore you and behold you. And yet you tell us in a word that your hand is not shortened, that it cannot see. Your ear is not deaf, that it cannot hear. But our sins have separated between us and you and hid as it were your face. So we pray no sin will hide you from us. We shall behold your glory and worship you in spirit and in truth. And when we've completed the evening services, we can go on our way to our places of a bold conscious that you've been with us this whole evening in these services. Bless each one that's to speak. Bless each one that's to hear. Thank you for this great church, this wonderful pastor you've given this church, and this staff that's so faithful with him. Thank thee for the faithfulness of his people, so eager to help him and so eager to serve. We pray thy would bless each one of them, and may they get something out of this series of services that'll bless their souls in such a way they'll be glad they were participating in the services. We pray that you'll take thy servant and loose his tongue and illuminate his mind. Give him holy unction. Help us, O oh God, today to search our hearts and not limit you, but yield ourselves fully to you for your service. And then we'll be grateful to you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul is saying here, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He's just simply saying, my whole heart is wrapped up in the fact. My whole desire is that Israel might be saved. The compassion of his heart, the, the desire of it, the whole interest of his heart, that they might be saved. They had a knowledge of God, but they didn't have salvation. 
they going about to try to establish their own righteousness, but they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I fear that's the mistake of a lot of our Baptist church members today. They're not saved. They're going about trying to be good enough to get to heaven, and they're not saved. We need, if you please, something that'll bring about their salvation, that'll change their lives from within. And he's saying, my whole heart's desire, the earnest desire of my heart. And to listen to Paul say on another occasion that he'd be willing to be accursed if he'd saved these people and that's going for far to say that you'd be willing to be cursed if it saved the people. That's pretty concerned. That's pretty eager that it go that far. What is your heart's desire? That is his number one desire. He said, uh, when he realized he was separated from his mother's womb, saved by the grace of God and called of God to reveal Christ to the heathen, he didn't consult flesh and blood. He didn't go to see what people thought about it. He just went at it. Where did you find Paul after that? He's trying to be, reveal Christ to them and trying to let them know about Jesus Christ as a Savior whether it's in jail or wherever it is, he's telling them about Jesus. He's revealing it to them about Christ. And when he's in the courts and they charge him with things, he always said, yes, but let me tell you about Jesus. Got him before the governor, and he said, but let me tell you about Jesus. And always it's, let me tell you about Jesus. He's concerned that they all know about Jesus. And down at the jail, they'd been beat up and whipped and spit on and cursed. No doubt his helper said, Paul, it's getting rough down here tonight. But he said, isn't it wonderful, though, to suffer a little bit here, suffer everything for us? And son, if you don't mind, you lead us in prayer, and we're going to sing a song and tell them about Jesus. Before daylight, they had the whole thing converted, and he baptized them, telling them about Jesus down in the jail. Where they find Paul, his main emphasis is Jesus. And when we have a revival we've been talking about, that'll be our main emphasis. When everybody gets to where they don't want to talk about anything but Jesus, whether it's in town, whether it's in society, whether it's in... Uh, athletic games, whether it's in clubs or whether it's in fraternal meetings, wherever it is, we're talking about Jesus. In the homes, in the places of business, in the social gatherings, we're so desirous that our friends and loved ones know about Jesus, that's all we want to talk about. And when we get that far along, then a revival is starting. And that's where we need to get to if we're going to have a... My heart's desire is that those that are not saved might know about Jesus, might be saved. He said, he said, how can they be saved except they know about him? And how can they know about him except we tell them about him? 
And our business is to reveal Christ to the heathen that's around us, to the unsaved. And it's time for the redeemed of the Lord to wake up and say something. We've let the devil's crowd talk long enough. We've let them say their say so long enough. We've let the infidels and the atheists and the agnostics and all the rest of them, the communists, all the rest of them have they say long enough. It's time the children of God rise up and say something for Jesus that the folks around us may hear about Jesus Christ. And there's something wrong with us when we're not doing that. He said, my heart's desire and prayer to God for his is might be saved. And that ought to be our desire that we get so concerned that they might be saved. And the best picture we can find of what needs to happen is John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. He came in those days in the wilderness crying out, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's time to start something. The Lord's are coming this way. Repent ye. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. We believe, you believe, I believe, according to everything, the Lord's about to come. It's time to prepare the way for his coming. Get everything out of the way and let him come. The sooner he comes, the better it'll suit me. I wish he'd come on. I'm like Brother Butler. I wish he'd come on now. He'd save a lot of I don't care nothing about myself going to one of these graveyards. Matter of fact, I don't like graveyards. I've always been scared of them. I was raised in a home where they told so many graveyard stories, I'm scared of a graveyard. I wouldn't sleep in one all night by myself for $1,000, bad as I need money. And I don't care nothing about one of these great long back buggies begging up to my front door and dragging out a little cart and wobbling down the hallway and coming to my bed and throwing the cover back and grabbing me the heels and roll me over and throw the cover over and wobble me back down and push me in that there and shut the door down the way back up the building down there and pull me out and roll up there by the side of a marble table and roll me up on it take a needle in my arm and start it to pumping and then he goes, uh, the undertaker goes out there, the embalmer, and sits down on a, in a chair on the front porch and props his foot against the post on the front porch and smokes a cool while I'm cooling back there on the cooling board. <laughs> I don't care nothing about that experience. I'd rather miss it than to have it. If you want to have it, go on and have it. I wish Jesus had come on and I'd miss all that mess. It's too expensive now anyhow. But Jesus is coming, and we need to get the way prepared. If we don't, some of your loved ones and mine's going to miss him when he comes. They're going to be left behind. And old David has got the best picture of getting ready to reach him of anybody I've found in the first 51st chapter of the Psalms. David said, Have mercy upon me, O God. Have mercy on me according to thy loving kindness. Not according to what somebody else thinks, but what you think about me. According to thy multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. 
wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. See, David is acknowledging his sins, not somebody else's. The problem with us, most of us, we say, if old so-and-so get right of God, we'd have a revival. Well, why don't you have one? Face it. If so-and-so in our church would have a revival, we'd have a revival. Well, are you having one? What's the matter you? What's the matter me? David said, I acknowledge my transgressions. My sins is ever before me. Wash me. Cleanse me. Forgive me my sins. John the Baptist said, Repent ye. Prepare the way of the Lord. Get everything out of the way that's in the way of the Lord coming in and blessing and doing things for us. If there's anything in the way, my friends, get rid of it. If there's any person in the way, get rid of it. Can God have a revival with you, or is there something in the way? Or is there some person in the way? I acknowledge my sins. My transgressions are in between me and God. God's hand has not been shortened that he cannot save. In other words, my friends, he, his arm hadn't shrunk up and shriveled up. He can reach as far as it ever reached, but he hand cannot save because our sins are between him and us. His ear is not grown deaf that he cannot hear, but our sins have got between him and us, and he can't reach down through our sins to save what we won't save. He can't listen to our sins to hear what we want to pray. And if we get our sins out of the way, then he can reach down and save them we want to save. And then he can hear our prayers about the ones we want to be here about. So we need to come like David of old. Oh God, I acknowledge my sin. I confess my sin. Forgive me my transgressions. Forgive me my sin. Well, how do you know that we're sinned? Well, you're not having a revival, are you? If all everything is out of the way, you'd be having one. If everything is out of my way, I'd be having one. There's something or some person in our way or we'd be having a revival. We'd be wanting to talk about Jesus instead of the weather and politics, and each other. We be won't talk about Jesus than instead of our neighbors. We be won't talk about Jesus instead of a lot of other cheap things. But our minds is on a lot of things that we don't, that ordinarily we're talking about when we ought to tell about Jesus. How can they believe in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear except them? some of us tell them? Now listen, psalmist did, I acknowledge my sin until you and I get convicted enough and get close enough that we're willing to acknowledge our sin and confess our sin and repent of our sin 
and clear out the track, clear the road, prepare the way of the Lord, whatever's in the way, whatever thing, or whatever person's in the way. You know, you can't have a revival as long as you're not right with some person. You try to have a revival, and that person gets between you and God. You can't have a revival and something in your way. Because you try to have a revival, that thing gets in your way. And it don't take a whole lot to get in the way. I think one time I was in Detroit, Michigan in a meeting. And we had, I had gone up there and held a meeting and established one of the first Southern Baptist churches ever organized in Detroit. And they'd grown to where they had 200 members or more. And I was back at the first anniversary holding a revival meeting. And we was having a great time. I mean, a great big time. Folks getting saved, folks rejoicing, crying, shouting. And just everybody singing, everybody rejoicing. Several got saved one night and such a good spirit. Everybody's thrilled with it. And the next day I had to have some cleaning done. And there's a cleaner right across the street. And I carried my suit over there. And they said he'd have it cleaned by 5 o'clock. And I went over there that evening to get it. So I could wear it to church that night. And while he's back there getting my suit, uh, there was a little old box about two inches wide and about six inches long full of little uh, safety pins. And I had a time with my tie. I wanted to jump out behind my coat and hang down. It looked tacky. I just, I didn't have no tie, tie, pin, uh, tie clasp to hold it in behind my coat. And I just stand there just playing with those things, picking them up and letting them fall full on the fingers. And it appeared to me, why don't you just take one of them pins and pin your tie down below your coat and it won't be jumping out and embarrassing you. Well, I did. And my tie didn't jump out that night. But when I got over there, the ones at the music, they couldn't, they, they discorded the piano. And the fellow's trying to lead the singing, he couldn't get the tune up. And when I get up to preach, I couldn't preach. He just messed up all the way. And the service got so dead. And some of the most spiritual people in the church come by and said, I never seen such a change. We was having such a good spiritual meeting. And everything just happened like this. It went so dead. Discord in the music, in the piano. Discord in the singing. And you didn't preach. What in the world happened? You have any idea? I said, I know. said, what? I said, it ain't none of your business, but it'll be all right tomorrow night. <laughs> Next morning when they opened up, I stand there that pen and presented it to them and got it out of my hands, and we had a meeting the next night. It don't take a lot to get the revival stopped, even though it's starting. I acknowledge my sins. I acknowledge my transgressions. They're before me. And my friends, a lot of times, we don't want to face the fact that we see, well, that don't amount to nothing. Well, it amounts to nothing. God ain't going to let you have a revival because as long as you have it crammed down your crawl, you're not going to have a revival. So if we want a revival, if we desire our folks to be saved, 
We're going to have to do like old David. I acknowledge my sins. I acknowledge my transgression. Cleanse me, O God. Purge me, O God, with hyssop, and I'll be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Clean my heart out. Wasn't nothing wrong with his heart. It is what is in his heart. He didn't say, give me a new heart. He said, just create in me a clean heart. My heart's all right, but it's got a lot of stuff in it that needs cleaning out. Oh, God, create me a clean heart. Clean my heart out of all the stuff that's in there to keep me from being right with you and being concerned about my lost loved ones. And that's the thing we're going to have to do. We're going to have to God, ask God to clean our heart out. He didn't say clean somebody else's heart out. David said, create in me a clean heart. When you get your heart clean, and I get my heart clean, then we can have a revival again. And there's so many things today creeping in unaware because the television media has so brainwashed America until nothing else is wrong anymore. Everybody do his own thing, and folks don't look at sin like they used to, but sin's still what it is. It gets you just as dirty as it ever did. It's still as mean as it ever was. Wrong is still as wrong as it ever was. Sin is still as nasty as it ever was. Don't make no difference how you look at it. Other preacher looks at it, and anybody else looks at it. It hasn't changed it with God. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. We have, the, the devil's put a lot of stuff in our hearts. Now listen, Jesus said, out of these shall flow rivers of living water. But if our heart is full of stuff, they can't flow out. He said, my friends, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. I told you in the message, one of the other messages I've already delivered, that when God saved you, he planted a well. He that drinketh of the water that I shall give him, where comes a well of water bubbling up into everlasting life. When God saved your soul, he put a well in there, and it stays there forever. And it's got a bubbling experience in it unless you get it so full of junk it can't bubble. And that's our problem, see. Now, the devil showed a lot of stuff in the well. Let me illustrate. I was up out of Benton, Kentucky, a place called Vanzora School. And when I was working for the home mission board, and I was trying to start a church and held in a meeting, and they let me have a one-teacher schoolhouse to preach in. And crowds was coming, and this lady, school teacher, taught 12 grades every day, and I didn't see how she did it, but she did it. That's when one teacher schools were uh, scattered all over the country, and she'd bring a chunk of ice every morning and put a five-gallon can cooler. And then there's a big old well out in the back on the schoolyard, three feet in diameter, about 30 or 40 feet deep. She'd let a bucket down there and draw some water and pour it in this cooler. And then the kids would come and push a little spigot and get water in their cups to drink during the day. And that's where they got the water from, out of that well, way out in the country. 
One night while I was preaching in the meeting going on, some devilish boys went out and sowed chunks of wood and stumps or buckets or tubs or anything they'd get in that well. Next morning, the teacher would come out and put the ice in the can, went out to draw some water, and she lit the bucket down in there. She didn't get any water. She wondered if the well had gone dry. She got to the car and got a flashlight and looked. And it saw all them stumps and rocks and buckets and pans in there up above the level of the water. She couldn't get any. She called the trustees school and they looked it over. They sent out and got what they called a well digger. He, they laid him down on a rope in there and he tied all that stuff with ropes and they drew it all out, drew it all out. And then they lit a bucket down in that five-gallon can and dipped all that old trashy filthy water, drawed it out and poured it out. Then they sent a five-gallon can of clear water down there and it washed down the curb and washed out the bottom and he scraped it all out, put it in the can and drew it out. Then they drew him out. A little bit picky, go out there and let the, tub, the bucket down and get water and water the kids again. Now, there wasn't nothing wrong with the well. It is the chunks and rocks and tubs and buckets them devilish boys stowed in there and filled it up where they couldn't get anything. Now, if you ever been saved, there's nothing wrong with your salvation. It's just where the devil sowed a bunch of stuff in your well. That's what's happened. And you can't get down in there to get anything. You try to have a meeting and you can't. You try to get revived and you can't. Every time you lay down to have a spirit expense, you hit a rock or a bucket or a pan or a something else. There's a bunch of dirt down in there. And what you need to realize tonight, my friends, David said, create me a clean heart. Create everything the devil stowed in your well out. Clean it out. Clean it out. Get all of it out. And let your well run full of the Spirit of God again. And then he said, with joy shall you draw water out of your well. And I want you to know, if you've got all the thing the devil stowed in your well out, then, my friends, there's plenty in there for you to draw out and water those about you. But the reason we can't have a revival, we haven't got any spirit to draw out. Jesus said, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. And he said, out of these shall flow rivers of water. And But if we stopped up with the stuff the devil sowed in our lives, we can't do it, friends. It's just no any way to do it. And I want you to realize that. A lot of things can. And then said, create in me a clean heart. Clean my heart out and renew the right spirit in within me. Oh, Lord, have you had the wrong spirit, defeated spirit, unforgiven spirit, ugly spirit, critical spirit, fault-finding spirit? You can't have a revival running around finding fault. You can't have a revival with a critical spirit. You can't have a revival with an unforgiven spirit. Renew the right spirit in me. What kind of a spirit have you got? No, it's in what kind of the other fellows got. What kind have you got? Hurt spirit, hurt feelings, unforgiveness, all kind of wrong spirits in you. Listen, my friends, you can't have a revival with all that in you. And David is saying, renew the right spirit. Put the right spirit back in me, O Lord. And when you get your well cleaned out and get the right spirit back in there, then you can have a revival. If him the other fella, it's me, oh Lord, that needs a revival.
And until we get ourselves ready, we want everybody to have a revival, but we like getting ourselves revived. That's a problem. I need reviving. You need reviving. And but we want to push it off on the other fellow. Say, old John needs it. Susan needs it. Old Susan get revived. Old Billy get revived. Boy, we shake the town. Well, what about you? How revived are you? How far up are you? How full are you? How much of the Spirit of God are you furnishing in this thing? Oh, God, revive us again. And then he said, cast me not away from thy presence. Have you lost the presence of God in your life? Face it, my friend. Let's look at a passage of Scripture here in the book of Psalms, 16th and 11th. Thou will show me the path of life. In thy presence is the fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Joy in the presence of God. But when you don't feel the presence of God, there's no joy. When you get out of God's presence, there's no joy. Cast me not away from thy presence. Have you, do you feel the presence of God? If you get in the presence of God with your life, there's joy, joy, joy unspeakable, joy, joy unspeakable. If you get in the presence of God, there's joy. But if you get out, there's not any joy. One of the most miserable things you can do, brother, sister, is to be in the presence of God and get full of the joy of God and then get away from it. And so many people have lost the presence of God because of rebellion, because of resistance. Let me give an illustration of what I'm talking about. Years ago, my friend, well, we'll take a biblical illustration. God told Jonah, said, go over and preach to Nineveh and tell them they don't repent. In 40 days, God's going to destroy the whole business. Jonah was a typical Baptist preacher. And he didn't want to be unpopular preaching against the sins and naming sin and threatening them with destruction. And he would be unpopular. And God's pressing him to go because a whole, all of them in him would he go or not go. And old Jonah got so nervous, he said, I'm going to have to take a vacation and have a nervous breakdown. Boy, I just got to do something. And so he went down to and said, I just, just got to take a little vacation. So he went down to Jephthah and gone over to Joppa. Found a boat down there going to Joppa. And he found out how much it cost him to go on that boat that hauling freight, and he paid the fare and got on there and went to sleep in the boat. Sleeping it off. Take it easy. Let Nineveh go. Who cares about Nineveh? Oh, it's so soothing down here. But he's out of the presence of God. And God sends a storm after him. Let me pause here to say, God don't consider the cost when he gets after you. He went to the trouble of sending a storm and went to trouble preparing a special fish to swallow that preacher up. He's anti-missionary. He's a hard shell. 
He didn't mean with missions. And so that fish God prepared and swallowed. They got him a Benson. The, the storm grew worse. They unloaded baggage and baggage and freight. Thunder clapped and the lightning zigzagged and the wind blew. They unloaded one. They cast lots and fell on John. Where's that picture? Oh, in the banner. Hey, brother Jonah, wake up and there's a storm on. What are you doing down there asleep? Uh, I've left the presence of God and he's after me. It ain't y'all. If you throw me overboard, the storm will stop. Oh, we don't, uh, don't want to drown the preacher. Yeah, and I don't want to get drowned it either, but it's going to happen. And they tried, and they saw it was going to sink the boat if it didn't get rid of them. So I can see them get him out on the edge and say, we hate to push in. Yeah, I hate to get pushed in, too. About that now, a little clap or two of thunder to push you in. And they chugged him in. That old fish swimming along that. Now some of these liberal and modernists would say that story about the fish in Jonah. But they forget that the scripture said God prepared a fish. He, were, he prepared a special fish. God went to trouble preparing a fish to take care of Jonah. And if he wanted to put an air vent on him, give him some breathing, he can do it. He prepared him. God made that fish, and he put a ventilator on him so he could get air if he wanted to. I had a little smart ass jump me about that the other day and said, how could a man live inside of a fish's stomach three days and nights? I said, God put ventilation in there for him when he made the fish. Now, he's a mighty hard shell Baptist, but after three days, it's soaked through that he's going to be missionary. He said, all right, God, I'm ready to go. And that fish is glad to hear that. He got up there and up that old joint. Jonah headed towards Nineveh. He got thinking about how unpopular and how unwanted he's going to be, and he sat down. God said, Jonah, the second time, yeah, hold it, God, I'm going this time. And he preached until Nineveh from the king down repented in sackcloth and ashes. Jonah had a revival. We need to get swallowed up a bit. That fella. Smarty come around and said, I don't hate how you preach and figure out a man lived inside of a fish's stomach for three days and didn't die. I said, you lived inside of your mother's stomach several months and you didn't die. Explain that, old honey. <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed at how much stupidity is among intelligence sometimes. But I'm saying he is out of the presence of God. And I've been there. I know what it is. One time, the power of God is all over me and blessing my ministry. And I got to arguing with God about something he wanted me to do. And pardon me for referring to myself, but I can talk about myself and not hurting what else. And I said, now look, God, you hadn't heard that card that of other, any other preacher. Anybody else I know? Why me? Why require to me? 
Well, that's me. I got so sorry for myself. Got about half aggravated to God. One day while I was arguing, God said, all right, if you know better than I do, you just have it your way. You can go it. Have it your way. Go ahead. And his power left me. His presence left me. And I scheduled to have a meeting out at First Baptist Church in Coolidge, Arizona. And I headed out there on the train and got out there. And everybody remember that church, about 1,200 members. And they all had tuberculosis, including the pastor and his wife. And when I found that out, I said, oh, my, I'll take it before I leave. They's out there in that high climate, dry climate. And I got so scared I'd take the TB. I'd preach three days and nights. I said, I'm going home. Preach said, you can't go. I said, watch me. I caught the first train out. And I got, before I got home, they had to stop the train and get a doctor for me. I got back home. I went to some churches that wanted me to come and preach. First night I had off, I'd call them. They'd get our church, house full of people. I'd get there, and they'd sit there, and some of them get them walk out and say, he can't preach, something's happened to him. Well, I knew this telling the truth. And then I went to the church, big level Baptist church, out of Chimbley Rock, North Carolina. And I had preaching. 35 and 40 people come down the aisle crying before they get to me. They'd come crying and walk off. Nothing happened. Conviction leaving. Power, presence of God going out of my life. And I like to went crazy. I got everybody that could to pray for me. Go before God. And I mean when the power of God came, God offered me the power of God back I, I mean, I was willing and ready to have the presence of God back. And I might have told you about this in another message I brought, but I, it illustrates what I want to say. I was in the First Baptist Church in South Carolina. Folks was rather influential. The, a lot of the leaders of the uh, agencies of the Southern Baptist Convention was there for a special meeting. And I spoke, God said, you've been asking for the power back. If you'll get up here and shout for this whole crowd, I'll give it to you. I said, not me. It'll ruin us. It'll wreck me. Oh, Lord, don't you understand? The pastor wouldn't understand. The people wouldn't understand. And these leaders sure will turn on me. Not me, Lord. And he said, take it or leave it. This is it. And I told her something later, I said, sing Amazing Grace. And I got up and cut loose and shouted. And while I was shouting, 116 people got saved. The greatest revival's ever been in that town broke out. After the meeting, they called me and said, it's unfair. So many people got it stirred up in that meeting, they had to close the picture shows and some joints there because folks wouldn't go to them after that. Why? I got back in the presence of God, and if today God had tell me I had to go and shout in Congress, or shout in the White House, you'd see Pastor Ray headed to Washington, wound up to shout when I got there. And if they knocked me out, I'd be while I was trying to shout when I got there. I'm not going to leave the presence of God. Hey, if you want a revival, get ready to do what God wants you to do, is what I'm saying. That's what I'm going to. In our hearts, we got to yield. And put the right spirit back in me. Take not thy precious life. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You don't want the Holy Spirit to leave you alone. 
You don't want the Holy Spirit to stop pressing on you. My friends, let the Holy Spirit lead you. Let him empower you. Oh, God, don't take the Holy Spirit away from me. Let him empower me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Give me the joy of thy salvation. Not yours, but God's salvation. He saved you. He put a well in you. And he said, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. Then would I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from good guiltiness, O God, thy God of my salvation. My tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. Thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God, a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, thou will not despise. He's not one. If a preacher say, put $5,000 down here, we'll have a revival. God wants broken and contrite hearts, not money. God wants us to get broken over things. He wants us to get yielded to him. That's what God wants. That's what God's looking for. And he said, restore to me the joy of salvation. Then I'll teach transgressors highways and sinners or get converted. When we get the joy of salvation back, then we'll teach transgressors something and the sinners will get saved. I was in another state. One night a beautiful little girl got gloriously saved. Went home and told her daddy who was the chief of police in the city. And he cursed her and made her go to bed. And next morning she got up begging him to go to church. And he wouldn't promise. And she lay down across the threshold of the door of the house and said, You'll have to step over my body. You promised me you'll go to church with me. He stepped over about and cursed her and went on to town. She came to church that morning. She didn't tell the church that. She just come out and said, I want the preachers in the church to pray for my daddy. He's don't come to church with me. And she sat down and cried and got on her little knees and cried and prayed. And when I got to preach that morning, the pastor said, Percy, look in the right, far right-hand corner of the auditorium. Said, you see that young man? Said, he's the worst criminal in the state. I don't understand him being here this morning. It's a puzzle to me. Said, don't let him see you looking. But when you have a chance, glance over to the other corner the worst prostitute woman in this, this city, running the worst house of prostitution in the state, is here this morning. I don't understand why she's here, but if either one of them gets saved, it'll shake the town today. I said, preacher, you pray while I preach, and maybe God will save them. And I got them preached with my eyes on those two people, praying all the time I was preaching, God save them. About halfway through the message, all concerned and compassionate about those two coming to Christ, watching to see if there's any reaction, any breaking down in them, and I wasn't seeing any. But about halfway through the message, not knowing this other had transpired with the chief of the police of the city, the chief car rolled up in front of the door. It was open, just a step up into the auditorium. He threw on the brakes and jumped out of the car, run down the aisle with his gun and his stick on his hip, 
didn't even curl his cap off. Got halfway down there and said, Mr. Ray. I said, take over, chief, it's yours. I thought of every mean thing I'd ever done. I didn't know what was coming after me, and I thought, well, maybe it's coming after that criminal. Well, he ran on down, and before he got there, he turned around and fell on his knees at the bench, pulled his cap off and threw it on the bench, and come this confessing sin, begging God to forgive him, and God forgave him. He got up a weep and said, I want the church to forgive me. And he told things, and church forgave him. And he said, God forgive me, and I'm going to church from here on. And then he told the experience about his little girl and how it tore him up. And then he started out, and I thought he was going back to his car to go back to the city hall. Left his cap, and I started to say, Chief, you're leaving your cap. And I thought, no, you can come back and get it. But instead of going out the car, he went over that boy. Got on his knee and said, Son, I'm the cause you've been as bad a criminal as you are. I took money off of your parents to let you go so I could get rich from it. I'm sorry. And before he left him, he'd won him to Christ. He went on, left him and went over to the corner, got on his knees to that girl and said, When he got back down to the front, he had 19 of the vilest sinners in that town with him, Lord to say. What was it? The joy of his salvation come back and he drew it out and poured it out on them and they got saved. When thou art converted, then you'll tell the sinners and they'll be converted. Now listen to this preacher before I close. Listen to me. How come you to get saved? You heard somebody talking about the experience they had. 95 of you out of 100 that saved got saved because somebody told you about what a wonderful experience they had with God. And they, that's all Paul ever done. Paul told his experience on the road to Damascus and folks got saved. It shook up the governor. It shook the jailer up and everybody else. And listen, what caused you to get saved? You heard somebody experience. You thought, boy, I want something like that. And when you get cold and indifferent and away from God, you don't share that experience. Will I not revive us again? Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Put the right spirit back in me. And as a result, get the Holy Spirit for it. And I'll teach transgressors the ways of God. And they'll become converted. If we're going to have revival, we've got to get our stirred up enough to tell other folks about it. And when we get to bragging on Jesus and tell them about how good it is, then they'll get saved. <laughs>